Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to Liquid Church. Great to see you guys. Glad you're with us today. Want to welcome those of you who are joining us across New Jersey online. Thrilled you're here for Cosmic Christmas. I am Pastor Tim, and I am captain of the fastest ship in the galaxy. So glad that you're here today for our, uh, our new series. And on this December, we're going to tell you the Christmas story in a way you have probably never heard before and hopefully will never forget. Just quick show of hands. Any Star Wars fans here today? All right? Yeah, this is our moment, nerds. Come on. This is, this is our moment, man. All right? Me too. Uh, here's the deal. I was born in 1971, which made me about six years old when the original came out. And uh, I, my parents actually didn't let me see the movie until I was about 10 or 11 years old. But that did not stop me. I remember on Christmas pleading, pleading, pleading with my parents. I prayed, if there is a God, would you let them give me the Millennium Falcon for Christmas? And, uh, and they did. And that's when I became a Christian. And... Uh, <laughs> This was the start of my love affair. Hundreds of action figures, lightsabers, land speeders. My room was filled with a Death Star. And it's really funny because, you know, we joke about it, but my Bible uh, really was this book. This is my original book from six years old, the Star Wars storybook. I've held on to this all these years. And it begins with those famous words you can probably recite. A long time ago in a galaxy, what? Far, far away. And I read this thing cover to cover probably over a hundred times. That epic saga of Luke and Leia, Han Solo, and Chewie just captured my boyhood imagination to believe that, you know, somewhere out there behind the stars, there was this cosmic battle raging, right? A war between good and evil, the dark side and the light. And in many ways, it is true, isn't it? I mean, this is our story as Christians. See, all the stories that you and I love have echoes of the greatest story ever told. Your story may be Titanic or Braveheart. Think about the movies you love. But the greatest story ever told of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, this December, we're gonna tell you the story of Christmas. From a perspective you've probably never heard before, it actually comes right out of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And this tells the story of Christmas from heaven's perspective. There is a rogue emperor, there is a miraculous birth, there is an evil rebellion, and there is a bloody battle behind the stars between the forces of God and evil. And this is basically our approach for this series. For the next three weeks, we are going to bring together scripture and Star Wars and tell the Christmas story in a way you've never heard before. Now, before I jump into Revelation, let me tell you what originally inspired this idea. As I said, when I was a kid, like 10 or 11 years old, uh, I would spend hours leading up to Christmas playing under the Christmas tree with this nativity set that my parents gave me. Do you guys, how many of you have a nativity set? You got like one of these little things, right? Nativity is basically, it's the, the, the Bible scene of how the uh, Christmas story happened. And uh, we did the, I would set this up every year. I'd put the little baby Jesus, right? I'd kneel down and put baby Jesus in the manger there. Then I'd place Mary and, you know, and Joseph, the three wise men who followed the star, and then, you know, the angels and the shepherds. And I would get this whole thing set up. And my parents were like, isn't that fun? And I was like 10 years old. I'm like, not really. <laughs> Honestly, man, I'm like 10 years old. I'm like, you know, silent night, holy, boring. 
And uh, I, my, my heart wanted more adventure than that. And it's really funny because what happened is one Christmas, I got this idea, and I, I, it's a crazy thing to say, but I actually took out my shoebox full of Star Wars action figures and began replacing them one by one. I kicked out Mary and Joseph. They were gone, and in their place, you can roll that there real quickly, I put uh, Princess Leia and Han Solo. I started, I basically hijacked the nativity, okay? I said, these guys will guard Jesus better than Joseph and Mary can. <laughs> then I kicked out the three wise men. You know, I put C-3PO, R2-D2, you know, little Yoda in there. We didn't have a cow in the barn. We had Chewbacca in the stable. You know, I put all these guys out there. I said, I want to believe there was this cosmic battle between good and evil raging and like, you know, the fate of humanity hung in the balance, you know, gold, frankincense, and carbonite. You know, I, I really, that was my dream. And imagine, imagine my surprise when a few years later, I read Revelation 12 for the first time. Can I ask, have you ever read the description of Christmas from Revelation 12? It's not the description you will find on any Hallmark card, I guarantee you that. Probably because no artist, including George Lucas, could do it justice. In Revelation 12, basically, Scripture pulls back the curtain in the Bible to give us a glimpse of Christmas as it looked from heaven's perspective a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, where there's a battle over a baby between the dark side and the light. And I want to read Revelation 12 today from God's word. But first, let me just kind of warn you, Revelation is a weird book, okay? It's like a Quentin Tarantino movie on acid. There is like some crazy stuff in here. There's strange language. There's these disturbing symbols we're going to read. And that's because it's called apocalyptic literature. It's a type of Hebrew scripture that uses symbols and visions to reveal the purposes of God in history. That's why it's called revelation. It reveals the hope of Jesus Christ and the ultimate triumph of God over evil in the end times. But let's not skip ahead. Let's start where it all began here. This is the Apostle John. He wrote Revelation, and he's going to pull back the curtain for us to reveal what was happening in heaven when Jesus Christ came to earth 2,000 years ago. This is the other story of Christmas, the story behind the stars. Let's start at verse 1. Here's what it says. Open your Bible. I'll put some on the screen as well. John writes, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. What? An enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept the third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might, what, devour her child the moment he was born, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will, quote, rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. If you skip down to verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And this is the final verse, verse 17 here. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who's that? 
those who keep God's commands and hold to their testimony about Jesus. Merry Christmas. I told you, you've probably never seen this on an advent calendar, right? This is kind of this extraordinary account of these, that's worlds away from the, oh, the, you know, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, the little Lord Jesus. No crying he makes. Such so like a baby, isn't it? No crying. Uh, it's very peaceful on earth here. And the reality is we see behind the stars an entirely different account. And it's not surprising because at Christmas, we don't typically read Revelation. In fact, we go to the first books of the Gospels, Matthew or Luke, to read the account of Jesus' birth. That's where we learn that the Holy Spirit appeared to the Virgin Mary and said, you're going to be pregnant with the Son of God. And then Joseph took her to be his wife, and they had to go to, to Bethlehem, right? There was no room at the inn. And then the, the wise men followed the star, and they came and, and worshipped him. And, you know, the angels sang. That's where we read the first biblical account of Christmas, on the earth. But maybe you're too familiar with that story. Maybe because of all the Christmas carols and the cards, you are too familiar and you've lost sight of the cosmic significance of Christ's birth. That's where Revelation 12 comes in. On earth, all may have been peaceful and quiet, but in heaven, according to scripture, war broke out. A bloody battle was underway in the spiritual realm. The account you just read here in Revelation 12 reveals this kind of cosmic combat between God and his legion of angels trying to deliver a savior to our world, and Satan and his demonic forces trying to destroy that child at all costs. Now, I'm going to make a disclaimer here. If you're visiting today, buckle up, okay? I, I get this. Maybe, you're, maybe your friend invited you, and you're like, what did I walk into here? Uh, maybe you're not a Christian or you're not familiar with the Bible. That's awesome. We are so glad you're here. I get that this can seem kind of strange and confusing, but here's the cool part. Tomorrow at work, they're going to say to you, you know, what'd you do this, this week? And say, oh, I just studied a little Hebrew apocalyptic literature. You're going to get to actually learn a little bit something here that the majority of Christians don't even know about. So let's kind of decode this together. It's like a puzzle. It's kind of fun to figure out. I see some of you already kind of figured it out. Look at verse 1. Who is this? It says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, moon under feet, crown of 12 stars on her head. Who is that? Anybody? It is, yeah, it's not Princess Leia. Uh, it is Mary, of course. And you're like, well, how do you get that? Here's the deal. In Revelation, numbers are very important. And you notice she has a crown of 12 stars on her head. What's 12 represent? The 12 tribes of Israel. So this is an allusion to Mary, the Jewish virgin chosen to give birth to the Jewish Messiah. Verse 2 says she's at the moment of delivery. It says she was pregnant and cried out in pain. She's about to give birth. And then suddenly, in verse 3, this other sign appears in heaven but it's a lot more sinister. It says, an enormous red dragon with 10 heads, or seven heads and 10 horns. And this is interesting because in Hebrew thought, the number seven is like the perfect number, but the number 10 represents great satanic power. Who is this? Look at verse nine. The red dragon is that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Yes, evil is real. Yes, Satan is alive and active. Merry Christmas. Uh, notice that it says the dragon stood in front of the woman, Mary, who's about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. What is that? Does anybody know? This, that's the sign in heaven. What's the corresponding reality on earth? Well, we know in the Gospels, yeah, that the king of the Jews, King Herod at that time, caught wind of a newborn king who he saw as a threat to his throne. So what did King Herod do? 
according to historical record, he ordered the execution of all baby boys under the age of two, a massacre in Israel. Matthew 2 puts it this way. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child, his mother. Escape to Egypt. Stay there till I tell you, for Herod's going to search for the child and kill him. And sure enough, according to historical record, that's exactly what Herod did. See, Herod worked for the original evil empire. His name was Caesar Augustus. He was the emperor of Rome, and Herod was a, a lackey to him. And Herod was obsessed with staying in power. And it says this, so Herod gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under. This is the record of the first ethnic cleansing. Yes, evil's real. So is satanic power. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. So catch this. On Christmas Eve, there are two clashing forces behind the stars. You have Mary in anguish trying to give birth to life and salvation, and Satan trying to bring death and destruction, the dark side and the light. Verse 5 says, the dragon lunges at the child, but it's too late. It says, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Who's that? Jesus. This is John's way of telling us that this is the Messiah. This is the chosen one. This was the one who was predicted thousands of years before by the prophet Isaiah, who's going to rule the nations and set this broken world right together. And the Christ child is born under the protection of heaven. It says her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And thus begins a battle over a baby. Let me unholster my blaster for this line. This is an amazing line. Big, big voice together. You ready? Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Again, I want you to imagine the scene from heaven's perspective on Christmas. There are swords clashing. There are soldiers screaming. There are demons raging. There is smoke and bloodshed. This is a picture of intense spiritual warfare happening. And see, this stands in contrast to how we think about God, how we think about his universe. Notice the angels in Revelation are not little fluffy guys sitting on clouds, playing their harps. The heavenly host in the Hebrew literally translates to armies of heaven. In other words, angels are cosmic warriors. They are God's special operations. And they are on the front lines of this war in heaven. And under the command of God himself, they battle the face of evil in this defining moment of cosmic combat. And the great dragon was hurled down. This is the original. Oh, great. Yeah, I love it. We're pumped. Man. Did I tell you, my last name is Lucas. If I was related, I wouldn't be doing this. This is the face of Christmas. This is the original war behind the stars. The epic battle between good and evil. And yes, the fate of the universe does hang in the balance. I mean, does this seem like out of this world to you? Author Philip Yancey notes that in daily life, we have two parallel histories occurring at every time. There's what's happening on earth, and then there's what's happening in heaven. But Revelation, what Revelation does is it says there's not two worlds. I've, we view them together. And on earth, we see the cosmic impact of what happens in heaven. On earth, a baby was born, a king got wind of it, and a chase ensued. But Yancey writes, in heaven, the great invasion had begun. A daring raid by the ruler of the forces of good into the universe's seat of evil. 
See, guys, this is where the original rebellion began. We always think, well, we go back to Adam and Eve. No, 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 no. The original rebellion began in heaven and spilled over onto earth. Satan does not dwell in heaven anymore, according to Scripture. Where does he live, according to verse 8? It says, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the where? Earth and his angels with him. In other words, where does Satan live today? Right here. Enemy-occupied territory. That's what this world is, according to C.S. Lewis. Do you, do you doubt me? I mean, let me just take this out of the realm of science fiction and make this into the real world. Can I ask, how do you explain evil when you watch the news, mass shootings in San Bernardino? How do you explain terrorism and ISIS? What's your explanation for that? Young girls kidnapped by the millions sold into the sex trade? How do you explain that? Ebola, disease, really now. What is your explanation for evil in our world? See, at Christmas, we are reminded the devil and his angels missed their original target, but who's in their crosshairs right now? Verse 17 gives the answer. It says, the dragon was enraged at the woman, and he went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who's that? Those who keep God's commands and hold to their testimony about who? Jesus. Newsflash, folks, uh, that's you and me. Have yourself a merry little jolly little Christmas. I get it. You may be like, wait, 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 wait a minute. I thought this was like a kid's story. Again, this is the story behind the story, and your story is part of it. Because the birth of Jesus had cosmic significance, but so did yours. Because you were born into a world at war. If you just watch the news and you see the modern day fallout, bombings in Paris, beheadings in Syria, mass shootings in San Bernardino. What explains evil in our world? Why does it seem like the dark side often is winning? At Christmas, you and I are reminded that the truest reality of this world around us, our lives on earth, is that as children of God, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against who? Let's say it together. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Satan may have lost the original battle that first Christmas, but now we're the ones he's out to destroy. The Bible calls him the enemy of our souls, and he's responsible for the chaos and the carnage and the cancer we see everywhere in our fallen world. He's to blame for the sin and temptation that keep us enslaved by anger and pride and jealousy and greed, the hardness of heart, the pride of life that keeps us estranged from our Father in heaven. I doubt that God, you saw in the New York Post, right? God can't fix this and alienated from each other. This is where you and I live day to day, according to the Bible, on a cosmic battlefield. I know it seems unreal because it's like, well, I just live in suburban New Jersey, going to work and school and shopping. But reality is, Scripture confronts us with the truth that you and I were born onto the front lines of a fierce spiritual battle between the dark side and the light. And what George Lucas calls the, fourth, the, the force, we call faith. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God inside of you. And Christmas was the original great invasion. God sending his son to this planet and then to inhabit his people through the Holy Spirit. To ransom them from Satan, sin, and death. To forgive our sin and to rescue us from fear and hatred. So you always have these two worlds, guys. There's your everyday story on earth. And then there's a spiritual reality of your life with God. See, you, you were created by God and on purpose by God. Until you get your head around that, life will not make sense. 
You are a spiritual being created in God's image, which means you have a soul. You will live forever. And your soul was made by Christ, it was made for Christ, and it will find its completion in Christ when he returns a second time, the second coming of Christ. But until that moment, you and I straddle these two worlds, the physical and the spiritual realm, where evil often seems to win. And evil had a beginning, and evil will have an end, according to Scripture. And spiritual warfare is real. It's more real than you and I are probably aware of. And that's why God's word commands us, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Would you throw that verse up? So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to what? To stand. Woof, that is heavy stuff. I know, you're like, I thought Cosmic Christmas was like a kid's play. <laughs> I hope I'm whetting your appetite for more. I want to pause right here for a minute, time out, and tell you what you can expect. Because... The rest of this series, next Sunday and on Christmas Eve, when you invite your friends, I am today setting the stage, raising the tension for the next two acts. See, I've structured this message like a movie script. It's funny, in college, I had a minor concentration in screenwriting and actually spent a couple semesters out in Los Angeles working in the script development department of a movie studio. And every story, if you're a film buff, you know this, every movie follows a three-act structure. Act one is the setup, what I call the rebellion. It establishes the main characters, who's good and bad, but then there's this, this conflict, this incident that happens that sets this love story in a life or death battle. Again, think of the movies you love. Braveheart, Titanic. It's the setup and there's a rebellion and there's tension. Maybe you're feeling tension right now. You're like, Satan's on earth, evil in our world. I don't know if I believe all this. Follow with me. Your life is not just a movie. It is part of the larger story of God. Until you come to terms with the rebellion, good and evil will not make sense in Act 1. Because Act 2 is the rescue. That's what we're going to talk about next week. It's the rising action. With so much at stake, who's going to rescue the people? Typically in a movie, things get worse before they get better, before a hero steps forward. And as you know, all great rescues require sacrifice. Someone has to be willing to lay down their life for their friends whether it's Jack for Rose or William Wallace for his people. That's what we'll talk about next week. Rescue is at the heart of Christmas. And the baby in Revelation had a special name. His name is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. You are not alone in the universe. We are the visited planet. And your creator came to this earth in the form of a helpless baby to demonstrate his love for you and offer his life for you as a sacrifice to save your soul. That's the hope we have, amen? As Christians, we've been given the Holy Spirit, who is an incredible power in our struggle against the evil one. And next Sunday, Act 2, we'll talk about our rescue from the rebellion. And then finally, on Christmas Eve, Act 3, we'll talk about the return of the true king. Because the third act is the resolution of the story. It's the climax of history that Revelation talks about and that we're all waiting for. When good finally conquers evil once and for all, and the dark side is defeated by light. See, that's the second coming. Did you know? That's the second advent. You know what the word advent means? Advent means coming. And so at Christmas, we celebrate Christ's first advent, his first coming. But as Christians, what are we waiting for? The second advent, Christ's second coming, when he sets this broken world right, he defeats the devil and establishes his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And until then, you've been given a role to play. Did you know that? God chose you to live right now 
during this unprecedented time in history between the first and second coming of Christ to advance his kingdom, to be a herald, to be a messenger of the good news. That's why we have a, a vision to proclaim the gospel all throughout New Jersey. We're like, we got a short time here. We need to equip ourselves for this battle. That's the story you and I find ourselves in. So this week, I've introduced you to the rebellion in Act 1. Next Sunday, we'll look at the rescue in Act 2. And then on Christmas Eve, I'm going to connect the dots for all of your family and friends. We're going to pull it together. We're going to have live costume characters as we celebrate Act 3, the return of Christ, which is coming soon. Nod your head. You sound good? You tracking with me? You with me? Okay, cool. Well, today before you leave, I want to just give you two big ideas that you can leave with and take with you into your walk with God this week. If you're taking notes, you can jot down two things that Revelation 12 kind of wakes us up to, right? The force awakens. We're waking up. And the first is the reality that Satan is alive and active. And I realize that's a provocative statement. Or if you're not a Christian, you're, you're kind of a, you're like, I don't know, dude. That, this is where it gets weird for me. Sounds sort of superstitious, like that's kind of like a legend or something. Here's the deal. As Christians who value scripture as the literal word of God, we do not believe that evil is just some impersonal generic force out there. Scripture is very clear that Satan is a created being. In fact, before that, he was what? A angel of God whose original name was Lucifer. You know what that means? Light, the angel of light. And the Bible says that Lucifer was both beautiful and consumed with pride. In other words, he wanted to be worshipped above God. So there's this rebellion in heaven that you just read in Revelation 12. But according to scripture, he's cast down to the earth along with, it says, a third of the stars were swept out of the sky and flung to earth. That's a Hebrew reference to the fallen angels, about a third of the angels in heaven who are now demons that inhabit the earth. And now, although Satan has been defeated positionally by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is still alive. He is still active. Revelation says he knows his time is short, but he has a long leash. And as I asked before, how else do you explain evil in our world? It's remarkable what people use to explain away what we see happening on the nightly news. I've heard people say, well, you know, I think people just make bad choices. Really? I find that incredibly naive. You're telling me people just wake up one morning and say, today I'm going to strap a bomb to my body, take out as many innocent people as I can in the name of God, and he'll reward me for murder. That's demonic. Can I say that without being offensive? Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to take a tactical weapon into a, a school or a church or, or someplace and mow down as many people as I can believing God will reward me. That's not a poor choice. It's the deceiver. It's the father of lies masquerading as an angel of light. And it's demonic. I'm just going to say that because that's the biblical worldview. In 1 Peter 5, we're given instruction. How do you live in a time of terror? The Bible says, be alert. Be alert and of sober mind. I'm going to put this up so some of you can write this down on the side screen. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing what? Firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Do you see that all around the globe right now? Christians are being persecuted as never before. In the Middle East, in Asia, I think we all feel the ground shifting a little bit in America. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to normalize what you're experiencing and seeing on the news. The reality is, although Satan is alive and active, he is a defeated enemy, and he is very predictable. Throughout history, if you look at the course of history, he runs the same plays over and over again. I want you to think right now, 
Get out your history caps. All the demonic dictators who have marched across the stage of history. In the Old Testament, yeah? Start there. In Egypt, who was it? Pharaoh, who first enslaved the Jews and said, I am ordering the abortion of all Hebrew baby boys. Flip over to the New Testament. In Israel, King Herod orders the genocide. Wipe out that generation again. In 1940s in Europe, it's Hitler who does the same with the Holocaust, what he called the final solution. And now in 2015, it's ISIS in the Middle East, promising to eradicate Jews from the face of the earth and kill all Christ followers until they convert to Islam. Do you see a pattern? The names and faces change, but the devil's schemes are the same. It's not just an anti-Semitic spirit, it's an anti Christ spirit. There has always been an antichrist spirit alive and at work, energizing the forces of history in our world. And today, you and I live in a time where I believe there is heightened satanic activity against God's people and the values of Christ's kingdom. That's just reality. It's actually a fulfillment of what you just read in Revelation 12, verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged and went off to make war against the rest of the woman's offspring. Who's that? Those who keep to God's commands and hold to their testimony about Jesus. Christians. You and I were born into a world at war. And I, I think we all realize it's not one that's going to be won by a political solution or a military or an economic one. What happens on earth right now is part of this larger story in God's heavenly realms that, honestly, it's coming to a climax in Revelation, the end times. And until you embrace that worldview, your life in the 21st century will not make sense. It will seem random. You will blame others. You will blame yourself. You will blame God. That's because Satan's called the accuser, which leads to big idea number two. Spiritual warfare is real. And God chose you to be an overcomer. Amen? As a follower of Christ, you have tremendous power. The Holy Spirit is now available to you, and it's not some impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person, and that means you don't actually have to feel afraid. You don't have to have anxiety. You don't have to feel powerless in the face of evil. Because the kind of spiritual warfare that I'm talking about, it's not dependent on, you know, bullets or blasters. As 2 Corinthians 10 says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have, let's say this together, last sentence, ready? Divine power to demolish strongholds. According to Revelation 12, Christians overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What's our testimony? That there's nothing, there's no power on heaven and earth or under the earth that can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's our story. God's love is stronger than death. And through the blood of Jesus, we're adopted into God's family and now you're not just some ordinary human. You are a son and daughter of the most high God. You have right to lay hold of God's power through prayer. And this is so encouraging. Guys, this is so encouraging. You have no idea the power available to you. I'll just give you in closing a real-life example, just as fresh as this week. Pretty significant, though, in the life of our church. Um, as you know, this fall, we acquired a 125,000-square-foot warehouse that we're developing into this broadcast center in Parsippany. And it's going to serve our church really for the next decade of ministries. We make the message of Jesus known all throughout New Jersey and tri-state area. And we had architectural blueprints drawn up to develop the building. It's a real miracle to actually get the facility. It's going to be this beautiful worship center, about a thousand-seat sanctuary. So I appreciate your patience there in the back in the lobby, the overflow. We're going to get you all in there. And we're going to have these kids and special needs environments. It's going to be great. But we needed to get zoning board approval 
which I don't want to use the word evil empire. <laughs> but it's New Jersey, right? I'm serious. Have you ever tried to like, just get a deck built in New Jersey, right? Okay. You know that variances in zoning boards, not always easy to navigate. So on Wednesday, we had our zoning board meeting. Let me tell you how I prepared. Because I had to give a, a testimony about what the church is about. And I did, yes, I went over my notes. But you know what I did also that morning? I got on my knees and prayed. And I cried out in prayer for the power of God. I said, God, would you send the Holy Spirit? And in the, Jesus' name, we bind any spirit of conflict or hostility or opposition. We ask for a spirit, the Holy Spirit of peace and of harmony and cooperation. In Jesus' name, by the blood of Jesus, we want the gospel to go forth. We want a church that prevails. We want thousands of families to come to the throne of God and declare Jesus Christ as Lord. I pray that in Jesus' name. That's how I pray. How do you pray? Dear Lord, bless this food. Amen. That's the battle. What are the obstacles and struggles you're facing? When you want breakthrough people, you actually have to fight for it. You heard what happened. When it came time for our testimony, we shared confidently about our church, your desire to serve people all across New Jersey, and it was less than one hour we received unanimous approval from the Parsippany Zoning Board. Praise God. That's incredible. Here's what's so fun. Our attorney afterwards said, hey, congratulations. And I said, this is, this is remarkable. I goes, this is how it always goes. He goes, no. He goes, I think your church, Liquid, just set the New Jersey record for fastest approval of a church. I have done this for 30 years. I have never seen it go that quickly and smoothly. And I was like, that's amazing. He goes, well, you guys just seem to have so much, um, what is it, positive energy. <laughs> I said, yeah, we call that the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Pastor Rich was like, we call it the force, you know. <laughs> it's amazing, guys. We received unanimous approval with actually, for all three variances, usage, parking, signage, with no conditions. <coughs> and you could just feel the Holy Spirit move in a palpable way. The mayor stopped by. He said, welcome, Parsippany. We're so glad to have you. We're so glad to have your church here. Guys, that's called spiritual victory. That's the power of prayer at work. If God is for you, who can be against you? Amen? Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. I just want you to be clear. I want to be clear on this and give credit where credit's due. That's not the result of careful planning, though plan we did. It is not the result of strong legal representation, though that we had. <laughs> Pure and simple, it was the power of God at work. It was the answer to the prayers of our warriors in this church who fight from their knees. That's how you wage war in heaven, from your knees. That's why we have prayer teams at every campus. Our prayer warriors are basically the Jedi Knights of this church. <laughs> They don't fight fair. They fight from their knees. And in Christ, we have the victory. Amen? Amen? So I want you to be encouraged. Whatever obstacle you're facing with Christ, we have actually overcome the enemy. Through Christ, you have been saved for eternity, and you've been covered in the blood of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit now as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So no matter what circumstances you're facing with Christ, you can win the battle. You can have peace in a time of terror. You can have confidence in a time of great uncertainty, in the face of tremendous obstacles. So I want you to keep this in mind this week, because next Sunday we're going to talk about our rescue in Act 2 of Cosmic Christmas. But today, go into the Advent season. We're thinking about the arrival of Christ. God sent a Savior into this world, and his name is Emmanuel, meaning God is with you. And greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. Amen? Let's stand together for prayer. And our final worship song. Father God, we thank you for revelation, for what you're revealing to us. I pray now in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would seal over your truth. 
Father God, awaken us to your truth at Christmas. Father God, the great invasion has begun. Pour out your Holy Spirit now on the men and women in this church. Father God, may we boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. We won't back down, Father. We won't be shy about that. Father God, all of eternity now is headed to one day every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. Thank you that you've started here. We thank you for your church. We thank you for what you did this week. And Father, we can't wait to celebrate your son Jesus on Christmas. It's in his name we pray and give him glory. Everybody said, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.